Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. did just actually just get back from some board meetings in Denver, and Joanne and the kids were able to, to go along as well, too, and so they did fun things, and I sat in a, uh, a meeting and uh, for many hours, and then they would uh, text me photos of fun things that they were doing. I, was, I think at one point she's like, even, is this helpful or not? <laughs> and um, yeah, and you know, I, I will say I, I really do appreciate the, the broader denominational family that, that we get to be a part of. Um, there are some wonderful men and women um, that are uh, co-laboring alongside you all, um, all across the, the U.S., and it, it's neat to hear some of those stories and what's going on, and like anything, there can be bumps, um, you know, I mean, it's, you know, as a church, you know, perhaps you wrestle with uh, an individual leaving, and then at a conference, you wrestle with the church leaving, you know, and so there are, there are hard discussions, you know, that, that do happen. Um, but it's overall very, very thankful for the, the denomination that we get to be a part of and, and co-laboring alongside that. And uh, I wish that you could get to, to meet and get to know some of the people that I've gotten to know over the years in that. I'm, I am thankful for that. And it's um, when there is, it, it's neat to see when, when there is trust in the room, you can have some pretty hard conversations. And you can actually really go after some topics. Um, and you can be honest, you know, and really go for it when there's enough trust. And then afterwards, you know, like there is still thanks for what you do and, you know, appreciate you and love you and, you know, cheering for you and, and that kind of thing. And it's, uh, it's pretty neat to, to, to be part of that when that, you know, when that layer of, of just trust and appreciation and love for one another exists you know, you can really, really wrestle through some stuff, which is pretty neat. Um, we're, our, we're on a sermon series, um, walking through the book of Luke. And this week we're in Luke 15. And there's, uh, Jesus is, um, verse 15 opens, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then he goes on to, to share three parables, and they're pretty popular parables, and you've probably heard of them. We have the parable of the lost coin, um, the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the prodigal son, uh, or at least that's how my Bible calls it, parable of the prodigal son. There's a lot that we could un- unpack in those. There, it's I mean, like so much of Scripture, there's just there's a lot of neat things um, going on. Today, uh, they'll want to focus in on, on the parable of the prodigal son. Now, this, this is a popular parable. Um, if you are unfamiliar with it, um, just a short summary. You have a, a family, a farmer. Uh, the youngest sa- son says, I want my inheritance now. And so dad is forced to, you know, divide the estate. Youngest son takes all the cash, goes to a foreign country, just blows it all. Famine hits. He's broke. All his friends left him. He's stuck feeding pigs. He's like, this is lame. I'm just going to go back to dad and ask for forgiveness. Uh, he goes back, and dad's like, oh, I'm so happy you're here. And they reunite, and it's all good, and we move on. 
parables are meant to be simple. Um, there is a danger in overanalyzing them. You, you can miss the basic meaning. And yet at the same time, um, there is kind of a depth that, that you can mine from them. This parable it is so well known and so common though that, that I do think that there is a danger not in getting too simple with it, but in getting too flippant with it. And even in, in the summary that I gave you, that was kind of intentionally flippant um, to point out how easy it is to get almost like casual and dismissive and like, yeah, we know the point and we move on. Um, because there is actually some really fantastic truth in this parable. And some of it is right there at the surface, easy pickings, like just as clear as clear can be. And then there's some stuff a little, you know, a couple layers down where it's like, oh, that's, that's really good as, as well too. So I just want to slow it down, review this parable, and, uh, and see what Jesus has for us today. The, the first part. Let me read the first part of the parable to you. I'm in Luke 15, starting in, in verse 11. And um, I, would, I would categorize this section as kind of the, the betrayal part of the story. And he said, okay, so this is Jesus talking. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Um, there, this is kind of one of those neat spots where uh, kind of a cultural awareness takes us even deeper. Um, doesn't doesn't lead us to a different conclusion, but just kind of takes us a little bit deeper into in, into what Jesus was was sharing. Um, most of you are familiar with with this first part. The son asks for his share of the property. This is something that you uh, you could legally do, but it was considered incredibly disrespectful. I would imagine that even today this would be considered incredibly disrespectful. Um, some scholars have said this would be the equivalent of treating the father as dead. Whether or not it was that severe, I don't know, but, but the younger son makes it very clear that home and home environment is just of no interest to him. He wants nothing to do with it. Um, obviously no relationship with the father. He wants the cash, and he, he splits. The father divides the property. The, the Greek word on this is bios, which means life. And this, I feel like this is something where, where this community understands the complexity of this perhaps more than others. I mean, how do you divide your life? How do you, how do you divide the farm? Right? And I mean, so like, for some of you, we're getting real personal here, right? But how, how, do, you, how do you divide the farm? And there's discussions around land and machinery and the yard or the house. I mean, even, even savings or, or what cash, um, you know, was stored up. In their case, there would have been a lot of discussion around the animals, you know, which we're used to do, you know, a lot of the, the hard labor. Uh, you know, a modern version, right? Like, some of that machinery, you can't just, you know, like, how do you split the one combine? You know, you can't. You either force the other son to buy you out, which he wasn't prepared to do, or you auction it off, and you split the cash, and the son still farming has to figure out plan B. 
or C or D or whatever, right? Owning land would have suggested that this family was doing well financially. I don't know if we would call them rich, but, but we would not call them poor. And obviously, I mean, it is a parable, but obviously he's able to get enough cash, travel to a foreign country, and live kind of a wild life um, for however long. And when he left, I mean, it, it, it was the good life. He was having a good time, lots of friends, right, because he's wealthy, and then the economy takes a hit, and now he has nothing. His friends abandon, it, abandon him, um, clothed in rags, and he's feeding, feeding the pigs. Um, one thing I learned this week that they, um, the, the carob tree is they, um, there were these long kind of bean-shaped pods, and they would use that to feed pigs. And just sometimes like the poorest of the poor would sometimes eat that as, as well too. And I never really thought about this before, too, but pigs were considered unclean in Jewish society. Like, you know, you couldn't eat them, you, you couldn't have them, like they were an unclean animal. And, and this guy is literally now lower than the pigs, right? Like the pigs get to eat, he doesn't, right? Like he is, he is hoping that maybe he can eat some of the pig food. So this guy went from, I don't know how wealthy he was, but I mean a family that was doing okay financially, and now he is lower than the pigs. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, and I'm just going to stop there. In the story, it has this line that while he was still a long way off, the father sees him. And that's such a beautiful line. You only see things far away when you're looking for things far away. Right? Like you only notice things on the horizon when you're intentionally looking to the horizon. Like you don't accidentally notice this kind of stuff. The father, day by day, continues to scan the horizon. When your kid is lost, how attentive do you, do, do you become to the horizon? How attuned do your ears become to the faintest sound of their voice? This is the kind of waiting that, that robs you of sleep and distracts your mind. The father sees him, runs to him as a general rule, Distinguished Middle Eastern patriarchs do not run. Uh, kids could run, um, you know, maybe younger men or women, but, you know, dignified pillars of the community, there's no running. But this man ran. And, there, and I, I love this. The son, he, 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 he figures out an apology. He crafts his apology. He, he rehearses what he's going to say. He does this long journey home. He's greeted by the father. He starts on his rehearsed apology. And the father does not let him finish. 
doesn't even really respond to it, right? Like the son starts talking, and the father is like, it's almost like a dismissive of it before he starts reinstating his son. And there's, there's just something so powerful in that alone about how he's not even allowed to finish his rehearsed apology. The father responds in love, um, does not, you know, uh, does not even really give his son a chance to, to clean up his life, doesn't give his, his son a chance to prove himself, uh, doesn't even allow him to recite his repentance speech. A parent's love is not reactionary. Parents' love initiates, right? Like we, we love our kids because of who we are, not what they do for us, right? Because honestly, it's not that much, right? Like maybe some sketchy artwork, but like they don't do my taxes, um, helping around the house. We're, we're building on that, you know. A parent's love initiates. And, and the father says this in verse 22. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Again, some cultural stuff, right? He, he embraced him and, and kissed him. So there is relational forgiveness and acceptance. Um, there is a robe. So this is either going to be the father's robe or, or a re- robe reserved for noble guests. He, he, he mentions best robe. Um, so the, the, you know, the worn clothes are replaced. The father does not allow his son to pay off his debt. Um, does not make him pay for his sins. But, but bestows upon him dignity, honor, and acceptance. Um, the ring, a ring was a sign of authority. You were allowed to make decisions, um, you know, and, and you seal it with a ring so you're not a slave, you are, you are family. Uh, shoes, slaves went barefoot, family did not. So there, there's, you know, he's a son, he's family. Uh, the fattened calf meat was not usually eaten at meals. It was a luxury, it was expensive, and so the fattened calf was a big deal. This was likely a community event. Uh, when you kill the fattened calf, it, I mean, this is, you know, neighborhood party. And so this is now a, a village celebration, not just a family celebration. And it's a very public proclamation to the community that the son has been restored and, and reinstated. I always thought, see, because some of your Bibles like mine will say the prodigal son. I always thought that prodigal meant like wayward, lost, wandering, out and about. Like you, you've wandered off and you should not have. Um, it doesn't. That's not what prodigal means. Prodigal means recklessly spendthrift, wastefully extravagant, lavish. Prodigal is a reference to how you spend your money, not whether or not you're lost. And so sometimes we refer to the prodigal son because he wasted all this money. But if you actually look at all the characters, it is actually the father who is the most reckless with his finances. Really, I think a more accurate title on this would be the prodigal father. Um, It is the father, one, in splitting the property while he was alive, but then in the way that he receives the, the son back is prodigal. It was the father who was lavish, 
who was recklessly spendthrift, who was wastefully extravagant. The father in dealing with his youngest son is wastefully extravagant. And I think that's the, the first big lesson. And, 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 and one of the, the easiest ones for us to pull out, but still so good, that, that this, this is meant to put on display God's love for you and I. That, that he is wastefully extravagant in his dealings with us. Um, until heaven, I don't think we will realize the full depth of our sin, and I don't think we will realize the full depth of his love and salvation. We kind of get glimpses and we try to understand, but until we're there and kind of can see the horizon on both sides of that, will we fully understand wastefully extravagant towards us. Sometimes we think that grace is a free gift, and that it, it is, but it's grace is a free gift to you and I, but it still costs someone something. Like someone still paid for it, right? Like grace isn't like just free, free, start to finish free. Grace is, I'll pay for it so that it's free to you. The grace that you and I have received was prodigal of God the Father. Right? The, the grace, the love, the acceptance bestowed upon us was recklessly spendthrift, wastefully extravagant, and lavish. And I, and I think that's, that's the, the, the biggest, most obvious lesson in this parable, right? Amazing love of God extended to you and me and extended to anyone who will receive it. And make no mistake that we as a church, like, we believe it is our responsibility to share that with others. And to let others know about that and pursue them with that message. Now it's interesting because the second half of the parable, Jesus actually spends about as much time on the older son as he does on the younger son. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's how the parable ends. That's kind of how the story ends. At the beginning of this whole thing, right, in the beginning of verse 15, the context that this is happening, it opens with this line. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So that's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I think to a certain point, that first part of the parable is directed to the one half of the audience, the tax collectors and the sinners, but now this second half of the parable is going to be directed to the others, the, the other kind of half of his audience. This part is directed to the, the, the Pharisees and, and the scribes. The, the audience that was with Jesus, right? Like these are smart people. 
like, like they're going to clue in, right? Like, they're going to read between the lines, and they're going to know that tax collectors and sinners, if they turn to God, you know, God's going to receive them with love, forgiveness, and celebration, and all these things. But now the parable turns to the bad attitude of the older brother. And I think the Pharisees and the scribes are going to know that, that, that this was supposed to be, be them. Um, but I do think it's bigger. Real, I mean, it's anyone who has a bad attitude, frankly, about another individual receiving salvation. Uh, so looking at the elder son. His older son was in the field, and as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said, your brother has come. Your father has killed the, the fattened calf. So that kind of creates the setting. The, the brother had just, founds out, just finds out what has been going on. He's been out in the field working hard, doing the thing that you're supposed to do. And he comes home to celebration. He was angry and refused to go in. The father came out and entreated him. But he said to his father, look, the, 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 the people that, that understand grammar and that kind of thing say that the connotation is like a look you right? And it's, it's actually kind of disrespectful, because he doesn't even acknowledge the father as father. He just says, look, you. Um, and so he doesn't, he, he's not acknowledging the, the authority, the, the, the figurehead, or even just his father as father. It, it has this generic accusatory attitude about it. These many years I have served you, I've never disobeyed your command, you've never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate, but when this son of yours has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf. The attitude is a very strong like, he got what I have been working so hard for. I've been working hard for this and you just up and gave it to him. Um, He reminds the father that he's been faithfully working so hard and that he earns it. He refuses to call his brother his brother. He says, this son of yours. Right? So there's no relational connection. And then he brings up all the pain of, of what the younger son has done. I mean, as we said, parables are amazing and simple and complex. And you can get distracted by certain details. But to, I, I, let, let me just go one layer deeper with you on, on, the, on the older son here. Because I think that this is also v- meant to represent one of the ways that, that we interact with the father that, that we need to be careful of. In the oldest son reaction, he's not interested in the safe return of his brother. But more importantly, he's not interested in what pleases the father. The father is happy, and the older son doesn't care. The oldest son is not interested in what pleases the father. He, he was not interested in what brought joy to the father, and he really, in many ways, doesn't even share the same values as the father. If we're to be Christ-centered people, then what pleases God the father should please us, right? Like, The values of God the Father, those should be our values. The things that please God should please us. The things that displease God should please us. The things that anger God should anger us, right? Like as much as possible, we want to reflect and have the same values that that God has. And so I think one of the first failings of of the first son, oldest son, is that he did not take delight 
in what pleased the father. The son goes on to complain about him not getting a party of his own because he says, you, you never even gave me a young goat with my friends. And the father says, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And I think the second failing of the oldest son is that he never understood his true identity. He, he never understood that what belonged to the father already belonged to him. Right? He seemed to have this thinking that, well, he's going to have to earn everything, and he's just kind of waiting his time to get it, right? And so he watches the brother being given those things, and he thought that he had to earn them. And so the oldest son seems to have this legal legalistic attitude, right? And remember, like, we're, you know, Jesus is dropping hints about the Pharisees and the scribes. Legalism will lead you to either pride because you think that you're doing it right and everyone else is doing it wrong. Or it will lead you to depression because you think that you can never be good enough. And both of those are wrong. Ephesians is a fantastic book if you want to understand your identity. Galatians is a fantastic book if you want to understand your relationship with the law. Hebrews is a great book if you want to understand your direct access to God the Father. Right. The third failing of the older son, I think that what we see is that he also wanted the father's stuff. He just tried to get it by different means. The younger son asked for it outright. He seems to have taken the, the played the, the long route, and I'm just going to work hard and wait for dad to die, and then I get all the stuff. Right? So he's just, he too, just he wanted the same thing as the, the younger son. He just attempted a more legalistic route to get it. Why do we rejoice in the younger son? Because this is very important. We don't rejoice because of the robe, you know, which would have been honor. We don't rejoice because of the ring, which would have been, you know, authority and part of the family. We don't rejoice because of the shoes, right, which again indicating part of the family and not a servant. We don't rejoice because of the fatted calf, which, which would have been a party in his honor. We rejoice because the younger son had restored relationship with the father. If the younger son had received all those things, ring, robe, shoes, whatever else, but the father is off to the side scowling or looking on with displeasurement or frustrated by it, we would not rejoice for the younger son. It, it is the reconciliation and the fellowship with the Father that, that we celebrate. It's actually interesting, it just kind of as a bit of an aside. If you want to see some, some interesting artwork, just Google Prodigal Son. There have been some very um, remarkable artists all throughout history who have depicted this. And it's, it's very powerful what they have incorporated. And we could actually spend a fair bit of time. I mean, I think I've sat in on, on I don't know, more, more than one person doing some kind of reflection on the artwork and how the artwork draws out different parts of this story. So it's the, the, the artists, um, you know, throughout history have, have really done an amazing job on reflecting on this. But in all of that artwork, they are the thing that they are focusing in on is that reconciliation between father and son. 
and a lot of them it is some depiction of father embracing son. Some of them might incorporate older son, like, you know, in the background. But most of it, it seems to be that the focal point of the artwork is father embracing younger son. And that is why we celebrate. That's the part of the story that, that we celebrate. And the older brother, even though he never strayed from the farm physically, we still see that his heart was never close to the heart of the father. And so we grieve that relationship. We grieve that, that distance or that brokenness. He was close physically. He did all the things that he was supposed to. But he was never really close to the heart of the father. And so we grieve that part of the parable. The sadness of the elder brother is that while he lived with the father, close to the father, doing what the father asked, um, it doesn't show them having the same kind of relationship. The point of the parable is not, you know, like be like the younger son and ruin your life and then just turn it around at the last minute because that's an option to you, right? Not the point of the parable. Uh, The point of the parable is not, you know, be like the older son who did not understand the heart of the father. The point of the parable is that God is loving and gracious and extravagantly wasteful in his dealings with you and I, and he forgives us and he welcomes us as family, and he celebrates when the sinner comes to salvation, right? But the best gift, and I think we see it in both parts of of the parable, kind of the positive and the negative, that the best part in all of this is that salvation that comes and that restored relationship with the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful. And even that seems like a really weak word. Um, But we are grateful that we can have restored relationship with you. And Lord, we want to say that we're not interested in this stuff. Um, I mean, being with a Christ follower, like there's some neat things that that come with that. We're not interested in the stuff, Lord. We're interested in you. And so we say we love you. We say that we are thankful. Lord, we honor or we we, we recognize that you have been um, just really reckless in your generosity um, of receiving us back. And Lord, someday we, we will understand that fully, but what little we understand now, we say thank you. God, thank you for this parable and all that it teaches us about you and, and what it means to be close to the heart of the Father. And Lord, we want to be faithful in sharing this message with others as well too. We want others to, to experience this. And Lord, in all three of these parables, when the lost is found, there is such incredible celebration. And we want to be a part of that, Lord. We love you and we worship you in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.